Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to join me in Ephesians chapter 1, that God loved us for the purpose of his own glory. And so, as we begin Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 10 today. I want to introduce you to a young child by the name of Francis Alehi. Francis Alehi is a young child who is raised in a broken home in Ghana, in Africa. His parents, at an early age, divorced and decided to live very, very far apart. But the father of this young child convinced the mother that he would be able to provide an education for him, unlike any type of education that he would receive with her. And so the mother yielded whatever rights she had and allowed the child to live far away from her. The husband had rather bad motives, though, because as soon as he got custody of his son, he sold his son into slavery. For $10 a month, the, fa- the father would make money off of the work that the son would do. And in this slavery, which, by the way, is commonplace still around the world, human trafficking is still a very real issue worldwide. But in this forced work, this young boy was beaten, was underfed, and was forced at many times to dive down deep into Lake Volta where he was a slave and to undo nets that had gotten caught on the bottom of the lake. Many children who plummet down to the bottom of the lake to free the nets never resurface. And just by chance, one day while working in, in slavery on the banks of this lake, a family friend happened to walk by and noticed this child. He spoke with him for just a little bit, enough, enough time to get the correct information, and he went very quickly back to his mother and informed his mother that he had been enslaved, her boy, her child. She quickly called the father, tried to get a hold of the father and demand his release. He, he denied everything, and eventually the government in Ghana took control of the situation and freed the young boy in 2016. For several years, this little boy who trusted his own father was sold into slavery. It's unthinkable, especially as we look at our own Uh, American history and the blight that is slavery for us. We look at that and we just cannot comprehend why that would happen, much less why a parent would do that to a child. But you can't help but believe on the day that this child was freed that there was a great set of circumstances that came together that would free him that day. And what a blessing it was to be freed. And today, we're going to look at the blessing of being freed from slavery. Today, we're going to look at how God bought us back from slavery to sin through the blessing of our redemption. And so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, in him... We have redemption 
through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray now that you would speak through me to your people, that you would encourage, that you would draw us to Christ, and Father, I pray that we would see today how blessed we are. Thank you for your redemption. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Last week, as we began our series in blessed and in in and looking at how we as believers are blessed we looked at verses 3 through 6 and we observed the work of the father in eternity past in those verses we observed how god before time even began chose us and predestined us for adoption Now, there's not enough time here today to go back into how God's sovereignty and mankind's free will work together, but I would just ask you, if you were not here last week, to visit last week's service online or on our podcast to catch up with that. Nevertheless, it works. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and freedom are still intact together as we saw the work of the Father in eternity past. His work is the choosing. And now we will look at the work of the Son, that is the work of Jesus, in our redemption. What he has entered into time to do for us. Now, but before we can really define redemption, I think it is important for for us to understand a very key principle. Every man, woman, every boy and girl, every human being that has ever existed on this earth is born into slavery. Everyone. We've been sold into the cruel test mastery of sin. John chapter 8 and verse 34, Jesus lets us in on this truth. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so everyone has sinned. Everyone is under the slavery of sin. The wages for that sin is death. The scripture says the soul that sins, he shall die. And so we understand that every uh, man, woman, boy, girl, every child, every adult, every senior adult lies underneath the slavery of sin. And friends, let me tell you something. This is a brutal slavery. A slavery that does nothing but promises things that, can, that, 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 that uh, is, is not good. It's, it's a slavery that is brutal to us. And you look around today and you see our broken world and you see just how brutal the slave master of sin is. It's brutal. Romans says... It's Romans 7.14, Paul says rather in Romans 7.14, I am of the flesh sold under sin. Everybody is underneath the slavery of sin. And it is a bad life. But we're introduced today to the word redemption or to redeem. And to redeem means simply that God buys us back. 
He makes the price. He pays the price of our slavery and then sets us free. That's what redemption means. God pays the price that we deserve for the wrath of our sin, and then he sets us free. And what the Bible says, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. As a believer today, I want to talk to you about the great blessing of being redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. As we sing in the song, it is a great blessing to be redeemed. And so I, today, the point of this sermon is for believers, for you to see the blessing of redemption. But for those of you who are watching, who are lost, who do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to teach you the blessing that could be yours in this redemption. I want you to notice four things today about redemption from this passage of Scripture. Let me give you all four points up front to make it easier as we go through this outline. Number one, I want you to see the price that was paid. The price that was paid. Number two, the provision that was made. Number three, the grace that was spilled. And number four, the mystery revealed. Let me say that again. The price that was paid, the provision that was made, the grace that was spilled, the mystery revealed. Look with me in verse 7 as we see our first point today. The price that was paid. Verse 7. In him, by the way, that in him references words, the word right before it, which is the beloved. There is only one beloved. There is only one the beloved in all of Scripture. That is God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, God sent his only beloved Son to the earth to die for our sins. Here we are speaking of Jesus. In Jesus, here verse 7, we have redemption. And then here we see the price. Through his blood. Through his blood. From the beginning of time, we know that blood has been the penalty for our sin. Do you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3, God had placed Adam and Eve in this beautiful paradise of a garden. And he said to them, well, there's no death, there's no tears, there's no difficulty. He says, in this garden, you can eat of the fruit of any of the trees, any of this produce you can have, except for the tree that lays over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't long in that garden before Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and thus plummeted all of mankind into the slavery of sin. And just had, as God had told them, on that day that they ate of that fruit, they surely died. Though their physical bodies had not breathed its last, that would be years to come, their spirit had died. Their communion with God had died. And they were separated from God. And God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. And you will recall how there at the, as the, they exited the Garden of Eden, God told them their fig leaf clothing that they had made for themselves would not be enough. It was not suitable for the cruel world that they were about to enter. And so God took a lamb. And he killed that lamb. And he took the, the wool of that lamb and he made clothes for them. And he taught from the beginning of time that the penalty for rebellion, that the penalty for sin is death. 
It is blood. Blood must be the payment. God is a just God. By the way, God is a righteous God. He must take care of every single sin. If he is a holy God, not one sin can be left unpunished. Now, you may say, well, Josh, come on. He's God. Couldn't he just give this? Well, let's just throw this scenario out there. Let's say, let's say that there's a dear family in this church whose child is brutally kidnapped and murdered. And the, and the murderer goes before the judge, and he says, Judge, I, I'm really, really sorry. It was a bad, bad decision. I realized I shouldn't have made it. Can you let this one slide? Can you imagine the outrage that would occur from here and all around that someone would be set free when they had committed such a horrible crime? And yet the Bible says that one singular sin in our life is an affront to the holiness of God and must be dealt with. And so God says the penalty for sin the price must be paid. It is blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why in Israel, uh, each and every day, each and every week, each and every month and year, lambs and rams and you know all these animals would be brought to the altar in Jerusalem and would be slaughtered. And the Jewish people would say, I know I've sinned. I understand that I have sinned and I've broken the law. I, can't, I don't want to die, and so this lamb will die for me. And yet the Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of people. But every time they took a lamb to the altar, what they were doing, friends, listen, what they were doing was anticipating what one sacrifice would take the place of all the millions of sacrifices that they'd been trying to do would do. The sacrifice of Jesus would do everything that the lambs and the bulls could not do week in and week out. They were looking forward to the coming of Jesus and his dying on the cross, taking the penalty of our sin. And that's when we come to the price that was paid. It was his blood, his own blood. In 1 Peter 1, in verse 18, the scripture tells us that we were ransomed from our futile ways, inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. If you are here today and you are born again, you are born again at the expense of the blood of Jesus. The cross of Jesus, his death, his suffering purchased you. His blood, it should have been your blood, it should have been my blood. We deserved it. We deserve death. We deserve hell. And yet, Jesus entered into time, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross and rose again according to the Scriptures. We have been ransomed. We've been bought back from our slavery to sin. We have been redeemed, bought from sin so that we could be set free to live in him. We sang the song earlier. It's kind of a gruesome thing to think about, really. Redemption is not really one of those lovely doctrines 
that you, you tell people and you expect everyone just to think how lovely because when you think about it, it's actually quite grotesque. The blood of Jesus spilt for you and me. We sang this song earlier. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Do you believe it, church? Your redemption at the cost of his blood bought you your freedom. But not only do I want you to see the price that was paid, but also in verse 7, I want you to see the provision that was made. Look with me again in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. The forgiveness of our sins. What a wonderful and lovely thought for us to think about. Our sins, as we sang earlier, they were many. Sin, by the way, you may think that you just have a little, little box of sin over here and that's all that belonged to you. Listen, you and I are, we're pretty expert sinners, okay? We've got all of the sin possible. It's all stored up in our hearts. Our hearts are wicked. They are evil. And everything that was in our account to the negative, all of that, that sin that was in our account, God forgave. He wiped it away. Everything that was a part of our condemnation, he erased with the blood of Jesus. David will say in Psalm 32 in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Have you thought today about how wonderful it is that God has provided forgiveness to you? Believer, when God forgave you, he forgave you of everything you've ever done, everything you are doing, and everything you are going to do. That's why Paul can say, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has forgiven it all. It's wiped clean. And yes, we're to go to him and ask for forgiveness. And we can understand that when we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But have you paused today to think about the forgiveness that God has extended to you? We don't really understand forgiveness. We're quick to receive forgiveness, aren't we? We're very very slow to give it. Josh, you don't understand what this person has done in my life. And you're right. I don't. There's a lot of people, even in this room, who are watching online, who are harboring uh, frustrations, uh, who are, who are uh, uh, not getting over things. There are a lot of people who are lacking the peace in their life because they have not forgiven. But let me tell you this, believer. If God has forgiven you so much, what can you not forgive other people for? Because there is no circumstance, there are zero circumstances where your or where someone has wronged you is worse than how you've wronged God. Zero. Zero. There's some bad ones out there, but none of them come close to what we have done to God. And yet what God does when he forgives us is he pardons us. He pardons us. He doesn't, he doesn't hold us in uh, in condemnation anymore, he forgives us. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us as far as the east is from the west, that's how far 
He throws away your sins. So many, so many believers are living lives. Listen, so many of you are living lives where you're not having success in your walk with Christ. You're not being fruitful. And it's because you, it's because you say you, uh, you're not experiencing perhaps his forgiveness. He's already provided it. He's already given it to you. We can boldly come before his presence and yes, voice our repentance. Lord, we're sorry for the sin that is in our lives, but his forgiveness is already there. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses, but not only do we see the price that was paid and the provision that was made, I want you to see in verses 7 through 8 the grace that was spilled. In him... The scripture says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Think about that. Have you paused to think about God's grace today? How amazing God's grace is? How marvelous and infinite and matchless God's grace is? God's grace to you is unimaginable. And his act of redemption is a sheer act of his grace. Mercy is kind of looking at it from a negative standpoint. That means that mercy means that God doesn't give you what you rightly deserve. But grace means that God extends to you what you cannot earn. You could not earn his favor. It was an act of grace. You could not earn his redemption, his buying you back from sin. It was an act of grace. Unimaginable, wonderful, amazing grace that we get to experience I used to sing a chorus when I was a child in Sunday school, perhaps. You sang this song. It goes, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owned a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Think about that. God has paid a massive debt that you could not pay. What grace brought it to you. But now we see here that it's not just any type of grace. We see that he gave it to us in accordance to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace, there's very specific terms that God uses here to tell us the type of grace that God gives us. So let me give you an example of what that might be like. I've told you for several months now we've had to replace the roof on our family life center and on our, the sides of our sanctuaries. It's uh, nearing completion. They're just putting up some uh, metal right now. And, and so I'll get some pictures to you so you can see that brand new roof. But it was out of the budget. It was unexpected expenditures. And so we came to the church. We said, church, we need you to step up above and beyond the tithe and help us to pay for the roof of the Family Life Center. And many people stepped up. But let's just imagine that in First Baptist Church, West Memphis, there is an individual who is a multi, multi-millionaire. Let me introduce myself. I am Pastor Josh Hall, and I would like to be your best friend today. And let's say that I went to that church member and I said, brother or sister, you understand the difficulty that we're in. Could you please help us out? We still like... Uh, uh, some funds to be able to pay uh, that off this year. And let's say they said, you know what, I got you covered. And they reached in their 
back pocket and they pulled out their checkbook and young folks checkbooks are what a lot of our older folks use to uh, tithe each and every Sunday praise the Lord and so he pulls out that checkbook and he says I'm gonna really bless you we need uh, we need I don't know probably eighty thousand dollars right now to continue to pay off that roof and he said Josh I'm going to write you a check for seventy five dollars what a generous gift. And I would say thank you so much. But you see, if a multi-multi-millionaire gave me a $75 gift, he would be giving to me out of his riches. But if he pulled out that checkbook and he said, what was that balance again? $85,000. And he wrote out that check and handed it to me. He said then he would be giving according to his riches. Church, your God is rich in everything. Everything in holiness and righteousness and goodness and love and peace. He's, he's rich in all those things. Uh, you know, money is nothing to him. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the scripture says. But among all the things he's rich in, one of them is grace. And he doesn't just give you a little bit of his grace, but he gives you according to his riches. His grace that he pours out upon you is eternal. It is infinite. And by the way, the word lavishes there means he continuously pours it out on you. Yes, he's pouring it out on you right now. Those of you who are running from him, running from a call perhaps to ministry, running from a call to share the gospel with your neighbors, running from being obedient in work or being obedient at home, he's pouring out that grace on you, and it's eternal. His grace is as eternal as he is, and if it were not, you would have used it up three seconds after you invited him into your life. His grace is eternal, and he's spilling it out on you continuously, eternally. Act of, the act of redemption was one of grace, and it wasn't just an emotional move on God, but it was an all wisdom and insight. God lavished us in grace. It was planned. It was right. Now, finally, I want you to see with me in verses 9 through 10, the mystery revealed. The mystery revealed. Look with me in verse 9. It says to us, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's funny here. The scripture tells us that God revealed to us, those of us who have been saved, those of us who are born again, he revealed to us a great mystery. That is, the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus is somewhat of a mystery. When Jesus first came, all of the religious elite said, this couldn't possibly be the one. I mean, he's hanging out with tax collectors and fishermen, and he's hanging out with the drunkards and with the prostitutes. There's no way that this could be the Son of God. I heard he was born in a little stable in Bethlehem, or perhaps I heard that he fled down to Egypt. Perhaps his family did not have enough faith to stay here, or could anything good come out of Nazareth, some of them would say. All experts in the Word, and yet they could not see what was clearly prophesied from before their time. It was a mystery to them. So much so that Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Jesus says this mystery of who I am and what I've come to do, 
You've revealed to your people. And by the way, just as people in Jesus' day didn't understand this mystery of the gospel, people today don't understand the mystery of the gospel. A lot of people don't see the value in Jesus. They don't understand why this would have been God's plan. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And God made known to us, us feeble children of dust, he made known to us this mystery of his plan. And he did so as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him in heaven on earth so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me give you an illustration and I'll, I'll close. One of, one of my favorite movies of all time, one of the famous movies of all time is the 1993 Academy Award winning movie Schindler's List. In Schindler's List, we follow the character of the real-life person, Oscar Schindler, who was a, a German loyalist, uh, an opportunist, an opportunist uh, uh, someone who was big into manufacturing, and he had earned himself, be because of his loyalty to the Third Reich, he had earned for himself a position to become rich really quick that gave him a manufacturing plant where he could use cheap labor to make pots and pans for the for the German army, and he got rich, really rich. Uh, a Jewish prison camp, work camp nearby, began to feed him uh, Jewish people who were enslaved, and so he would have to pay even less, would pay nothing at all. And so his profit just kept going up and up until one day when he discovered that this prison camp that was right next to his plant was the next stop to Auschwitz, which was brutally killing those Jewish men, women, boys, and girls. And it really tugged at his heart. And so he decided to bankrupt himself to buy every one of those Jews that he could to save them. And at the end of the movie, the, the allies are coming in, and, and because of his loyalty to the Third Reich, he had to, he had to flee. He had to run, and so the Jewish people, about 1,200 of them that he saved, presented him with a ring, and they thanked him for saving him. And in the movie, he begins to weep. He says, I could have done more. I could have done more. And he points to his car. He said, that, that car, I could have bought 10 more people. I could have saved 10 more people. And this pen, he pulls a, a golden pen off of his suit jacket, and he goes, this, I could have gotten two, maybe at least one. I could have saved one more life from going to death at Auschwitz. You see, his redemption, his ability to redeem was only partial. But the ability of Jesus to redeem, those of us who are on our way to death, who are under the cruel slavery of sin and on our way to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. God's son Jesus, his hand is not short to save and he can redeem to the uttermost. Everyone who's here today, and if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I just encourage you, we're about to have a time of response and if God has spoken to your heart, I want to encourage you to come forward and speak to me or another counselor about giving your life 
to Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you say, Josh, I know Jesus. I just am not, I've not been living a life that's appreciative of this blessing of redemption that is already mine. I want to encourage you, the altar is open during this time. Come up here and pray. Speak with a counselor. Let me, let me pray with you and encourage you. And, and uh, I know that whatever God's going to do in this next few moments, it's going to bring him glory. Let's pray together. Father. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel. And if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.